0: Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Bipolar podcast hosted by Emma Bell and brought to you by Bipolar UK. You can find all of our resources at www.bipolaruk.org. Welcome to this episode of Let's Talk Bipolar. And I'm really excited for our guest today. She has a very interesting story and a very recent diagnosis of bipolar. Um, her name is Natalie, and she lives in um, Florida in the US. And she did tell me specifically, but you know, I'm a Brit and I can't think per- farther than London and Brighton, and <laughs> I'm terrible um, with geography. So Um, Forgive me for that and um, Natalie spent 11 years of her life as a nun and she's going to tell us more about that and also about her journey that she's now on having received a diagnosis of bipolar just in 2019. So Natalie welcome, welcome, welcome.
1: Thank you so much. It is such a pleasure to be here um, as I've listened to you and many others who are really voicing everything that I'm feeling, it's been such a a comfort and um, an inspiration to Mm -hmm. start to share and help others understand what it's like to be in this mind Mm -hmm. and what it's like to take care of somebody with this Mm -hmm. mind. Mm -hmm. Um, Well,
0: I'm just very grateful for your time and energy in this space here today with me. Um, And I would love it if you would introduce yourself in your own words and, um, Tell us um, a bit about your life and your experience, and then we will talk about how bipolar has shown up for you. So, tell us about sure, you.
1: Sure. Okay. So, you know, the kind of the anchor point for me usually is that I was a nun for about 11 years. And I'm going to make a small disclaimer here. Technically, according to canon law, I was not a nun. Um, I'm happy to explain that to anybody that is interested in the details. Uh, but I I had a vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience. I prayed at least four hours every day. So for all intents and purposes, I was a nun. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that started when I was 17. Mm-hmm. And that was until I was 28. So it was a pretty large chunk of my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was a lot of what kept me safe and also prevented me having a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. Okay. That's all in hindsight, of course, um, mm. but I really enjoyed that life very much. Um, it was a beautiful life. We had a um, huge um, piece of land where we would host uh, family retreats and we had horses, goats, and you know just bees, all kinds of really cool things in our lives and worked with wonderful people. Uh, did amazing creative things together and so very grateful for that time and I don't regret one day of it. I think many people who have left a religious community end up feeling a little bitter because as anywhere there are problems some more than others um, but I was lucky to be in a place that was truly a good ground for people. Mm-hmm. So that is basically a summary of the nunhood in my life. But of course, there's much more to it as anything is. And for me, I find my transition to a quote, unquote, normal life, uh, much more interesting.
0: <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> so yeah.
1: that's so what I'm writing did, a book about right now.
0: When did this transition happen for you? Because it's a massive life mm-hmm. shift if you have um, lived your life in a certain way um, mm-hmm with such intention and um, such love and gratitude and all of these things that you're saying um, that to then sort of transition into a different way of living our everyday life Um, because I think any transition from any type of way of living to any type of way of living religious or other it's it's how it how does that look every day right and the differences in every day and um so I'm interested to know when that sort of change happened for you and what were the most significant changes for you in that in that
1: transition great question um so the first thing I would make clear is that I had to go into it just ready to be looking like a full humiliated, and just looking very silly at times, feeling very, you know, vulnerable and unsure of myself. And I kind of knew that was coming. So I just prepared myself for it. And I said, I, I need to learn everything. So I'm just going to, you know, be okay with looking kind of silly. And a lot of times people didn't know where I was coming from. So then you feel doubly silly because they're like, why doesn't this 30-year-old woman know how to pump gas or do her taxes or get her taxes done by someone else. There are all these little things that mm. I hadn't learned to do. Mm. Um, so that was kind of one of the major obstacles. However, on an, on another side of it, I was extremely advanced at other things. Um, yes. So it was a very, very interesting time in my life to say the least. Um, I'm very grateful to my older sister and her husband. They really took me in and helped me get established in life. That's how I ended up in Florida. Um, They had a little cafe and on a beautiful island here and they gave me a job. They let me stay with them as long as I needed to. And I was able to get on my feet very quickly um, financially and just kind of as a, you know, as a person that felt like I could take care of myself in other ways Mm -hmm. as well. So that was a wonderful place and time and just to be surrounded by love and my family at that time was really amazing for me. And the the whole community on this little island really took care of me too. There are many people that came into that little cafe that helped me kind of get set with uh, a little apartment, furniture, and understanding what was going on (laughs) because they knew my story. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really helpful. Now, of course, all along this way, there are also the ups and downs of bipolar. And not knowing that was going on, I just figured that was part of life that everybody experienced. Um, But it was really, truly a beautiful time that I remember very fondly, um, even though there were painful experiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of my favorite (laughs) things to tell, because people find this so amusing, is that especially if you know me now. I'm a very confident woman, especially in my sexuality and Mm -hmm. just, you know, my presence in a room, men would come into the cafe and start to flirt with me. And I'd be behind the counter sweating profusely, my knees shaking because I didn't know how to react to this. I had very little contact with men throughout my life. Even I had sisters and most of my cousins are girls. I never really had a lot of men in my life. Mm -hmm. So it was a very nerve wracking situation for me to be in but I guess that was you know part of the transition it was good that I was stuck there I couldn't really avoid it completely Um so that was kind of that was my life was figuring out how to do little things
0: mm, and this is when you were 30 then that you started making this life transition mm-hmm.
1: I was 28 Um so kind of I feel like it kind of went on until I was about 32 or 33 okay. to where I felt normal.
0: Okay. Whatever normal is. Yeah, you know, yeah.
1: exactly. <laughs> normal is a very exciting word for me now. I'm like, normal, that sounds great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's interesting when you live with bipolar, how words like stable and normal become very appealing that <laughs> you're like, yes, I want that. I'll have all of that, please. Mm-hmm. Um, So you, um, beforehand really had been in living in this way where from what i understand you weren't officially a nun but you lived the life of a nun right that and 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 in a community as well mm -hmm.
1: yeah Where in a community yeah for all intents and purposes it's a nun it's just that under canon law that's not what we were called so somebody okay it's still in that community or somebody that's very familiar with these things here's this you know i want to be clear
0: yeah okay um but you're within this community that's quite sort of cl- like closed in terms of like a bubble right you're in a bubble yeah. of yes, your was. day-to-day life what we do what we know and this is it may sound a bit mad what I'm about to say I don't know um but I interviewed someone on series one of this podcast who went into the army at really really young age and he there's lots of things that you have just said that were challenging as part of the transition that he said as well. Things like paying your council tax in the UK, which is like a tax you pay on your house just to live in your house. He said, like, "Well, what's council tax? Like, what's what's car tax? What's you know?" what's bills yes. what's how do i what's gas what's electric like what, what do you mean i've got to pay bills you know like and he was saying all these things to me and he you know went into the army at a very young age in his teens and came out um, of the army i think at a similar age you know late 20s mm-hmm. or something um or maybe even in his 30s and and he said some similar things to me just yeah. i just wanted to share that with you it just really resonated yeah. with me because he was looking this at me and he's like he's like emma my mind was blown I was like, I was showing people these bits of paper, going, "What, what do I even do with these?" He's like, "And I'm a fully grown adult, and I don't know what to do with these things." That typically most adults in the population understand what to do with these things, right? <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's actually something that I've noticed over time is that I do relate to people who have been in the military,
0: really, um, because
1: it is a very similar transition. Yeah, I was actually just talking to someone a few months ago. Um, a woman who actually gives talks about that transition from military to civilian mm. life. It's very similar. And I can relate to that whole thing about, I've got these bills and things that I don't know what to do with. I am still struggling with that sometimes. So I've learned very well how to ask for help. Yes. So that's been my saving grace, but I'm still like, oh my gosh, you know, I just, now I got this thing and I bought a car for the first time in my name. Um, a few years ago and I thought oh now I have to you know do this do that now I've have got to do things insurance.
0: with the car <laughs> <laughs> um and I, and I think what you've just said there's really important actually about I've learned I'm, I'm very good at asking for help and actually that there not only is super important for your individual situation but it's super super important to anybody living with bipolar getting good and comfortable with asking for help which typically people find uncomfortable is going to be one of your greatest tools in your boxes if you can say it's okay to ask for help and actually I'm doing myself a great act of service by asking for help Mm -hmm. and I just think that's it's massive right and and it's such a difficult thing it's such when you say it it sounds so easy and -hmm. it's also really difficult (laughs) to actually embody and live
1: Mm -hmm. isn't it true and It is. And I, am so glad you pointed that out because I hadn't been thinking about it in those terms that I had developed this skill that is Mm -hmm. now helping me. I know that asking for help is important, but I hadn't thought about it that, you know, maybe this was, you know, a a bit of a saving grace for me that I already knew how to do that by the time I got to this diagnosis.
0: Mm. It is a skill. I think asking for help is a skill because it takes courage, it takes vulnerability and it takes us putting ourselves in a place where we feel very uncomfortable. Typically, most people, some people, not everyone obviously, but there's a lot of us that feel very uncomfortable asking for help Mm -hmm. and want to be able to do it on our own and want to be able to fix it and want to be able to do all these things, which then gets in the way of us staying well. So I do think it's a skill and I think it's a skill that we can learn. And practice and get really good at and get really quick at and the quicker mm-hmm. we get at it the less time we will spend in periods of being unwell so I think mm-hmm. it's a massive skill
1: yeah, yeah absolutely yeah one that served me well good
0: um so 2019 mm-hmm. you get diagnosed with bipolar so I often talk to people if you, you've listened to the podcast and I often talk about when we got diagnosed with bipolar and when bipolar first affected our lives. And sometimes the answer is one and the same. And often the answer is two different things. So how is that for you?
1: Well, let's start with the diagnosis because Mm -hmm. who knows how far you can delve into that (laughs) second question about when it started to affect your life. Um, So diagnosis happened because I started rapid cycling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did not have a business to kind of channel that manic energy into. Mm-hmm. I had a job at the time, um, and I had started freelancing, so I was doing very well financially. My daughter was great; I everything. I had a wonderful little apartment. I was it was really where I wanted to be in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was dating somebody wonderful. Everything was just not perfect, but everything was right. Mm-hmm. And yet I was suicidal.
0: Okay.
1: And there was nothing to blame this time. There was nothing to blame because we find these situations and, you know, problems to, to assign these emotions to and say, well, this is why. They mm-hmm. didn't have that. And I kept kind of searching for it. And I was just like, why am I so upset about everything? Why am I so sad about everything? Why don't I have a reason to live Mm -hmm. when I've got all this goodness in my life? And that started me thinking. And and then a few things happened that, you know, I, I don't know. I kind of crack up laughing every time I think of these things because they were so just quintessential manic. I would wake up in the middle of the night and want to paint. I'm not a painter. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I'm artistic, but I don't normally make art. It's not something that I do. I don't have a canvas and an easel set up in my living room. I just would wake up in the middle of the night and want to paint. So I would, I would get my daughter's tempera paints out and <laughs> I'd be making things in the middle of the night. And then there was another tip off. I happen to be outdoors at night and I happened to see a meteor shower. I didn't, hadn't read that it was coming or anything like that. I just was looking at the sky and saw it, which was very magical. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at once I saw like two or three meteors, I was texting people and this was like probably close to midnight, not a time I would normally text anybody. And I think I texted about 40 people, mm-hmm. um, many of whom I had not spoken to in years. Okay. and saying quite a bit about this meteor shower <laughs> <laughs> so you know these were things that i had read about and uh, worked with and helped people mm-hmm. who had bipolar disorder in the past so mm-hmm. it's surprising that i didn't realize this about myself mm-hmm. um but it started to tip me off okay i'm suicidal on the one hand on the other hand i'm you know, doing these things that are just a little bit out of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then I started to, I finally also was in a financial position to go seek help from a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly what I did. And, um, things, you know, really started to, the puzzle pieces were getting put together after okay. I got that diagnosis. And I went to a wonderful nurse practitioner, um, who I still, Uh, you know have that medical relationship with and she's wonderful and she was very thorough Mm -hmm. um, in screening me and really understood not just that I have bipolar disorder but really all the details of where my tendencies are and all of that she's been a huge help I really Mm -hmm. picked the right person Mm -hmm. had a good picker for doctors (laughs) so that's that's where I was that was like January 2019 I believe um so I can go back into so when you were
0: yeah I mean we'd I'd love to do that um in a minute and before we talk about that so when you were diagnosed did they did they offer you medication was that something that you um did for yourself is that something you chose for yourself um yeah I'd love to know more about that
1: yeah um of course scary words there are a few scary words connected especially with medication Mm. um lithium and i was very just disheartened when i heard that word and she even told me she said you're not gonna like this (laughs) and she was right i didn't like the idea of it i had read books about artists and lithium and just you know it did not sound appealing um but from what I understand, it is kind of the answer for getting you out of that suicidal mm-hmm. phase um, mm-hmm. very quickly. Mm-hmm. So that's what I started on. Um, okay. It worked. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of side effects, and I just didn't feel good in general. So I came off of that. Mm-hmm. I am still to this day, glad I did that because it was in a very bad, dark place, and I needed to just get out of it whatever that mm-hmm. took yep um so as much as I would never want to have to take that again I would if I needed to
0: okay um, <clears throat> so it lifted you out of the suicidal space
1: yeah
0: and gave you all of these side effects that made it un- unbear- unbearable unlivable for you and uh-huh. you chose a different route
1: yeah So we've been working on my medication since then. I actually just put a post on Facebook and Instagram that I have changed my medication nine times this year, nine times. Um, And I'm very on top of it because I need to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And my nurse practitioner is great um, about Mm -hmm. that. She's been working with me on it. So nine times is just this year. Um, Mm -hmm. So prior to that, you know, we had a few changes as well. So it's been um, a journey with that. I started out on the lithium, obviously, and then uh, one of the, I'm not sure I remember the exact order, but uh, Lamictal has worked very well for me. me too, uh, so that's yeah. been something that's been consistent throughout mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know various antidepressants with that. And here's another scary medical word antipsychotic oh yeah and I don't have uh any psychotic features as of yet with my bipolar disorder and yet you know the the prospect of taking an antipsychotic can be yeah very daunting until you understand what it is you know we have this understanding of psychosis from movies and Mm -hmm. you know silly stuff out there that has nothing to do with the medical Mm -hmm. realities
0: mm-hmm and it's difficult isn't it because you've got the anti-epileptics you've got the antipsychotics and we've got lithium and and I know I'm not a doctor for anyone listening it's just my own experience this is what I was told when I was going through my medicine choices we have the anti-epileptics we have the antipsychotics and we have lithium <clears throat> and the antidepressants that kind of go along with it right mm-hmm. um so you know these were kind of the options I was I was faced with at the time and they're like although these aren't actually designed for this if we take it at this dose it works in the same kind of area and it has this effect right so it's understanding mm-hmm. the nuances of, of those and how they can be beneficial um even though they weren't initially designed for yeah. bipolar as, as yeah. a first uh, as a first diagnosis but it's what works right and it's different yeah. for everyone. Um, it took yes. me three. It took me three or four years, I think, to get my sort of staple medication that I knew that was my go-to. That was kind of my foundation of what, mm-hmm. you know, my my good old faithful. That was what I could go to, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then we kind of just tweak it along depending on how I'm presenting at the time or the season of life I'm in at the time. I.e. Mm-hmm. Fertility. It's had to change for that. But, um. So yeah, you know, it takes time. Um, I don't speak to many people who get their medication kind of aced in the first year or two you know like most people I speak to it's like a process and as we change things change right too so um so the question before when do you think bipolar first actually showed up in your life and affected your life
1: you know people say it was just because I was a kid and that's what kids are like, but I can remember things back to where I was five years old. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just, you know, thought, thoughts that I had, not fleeting thoughts, Mm -hmm. thoughts, Mm -hmm. those heavy thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, And having this kind of seasonal thing going on, which incidentally is something that I didn't understand about bipolar disorder before. Mm-hmm. I got that diagnosis is the kind of, mine's very, um, very consistent from year to year, mm-hmm. the, the different seasons that I have. Um, and so I can remember back and kind of track, not every year, obviously, but at least the past five to 10 years, mm-hmm. very clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then back into when I was a child, you know, knowing, well, this was the first day of school, this was, you know, Halloween. So I mm-hmm. know what time of year it was. And that was probably a little manic episode or, mm-hmm. you know, no wonder I was so down in the dumps that summer, mm-hmm. you know, that, that sort of thing. So I can track back pretty far with that. So I would say first time it started to affect my life, I was. 12 or 13 years old mm-hmm. um, and it it became problematic with friendships mm-hmm. um, even with family to some extent I have a very loving family but I know it became at least at the very least confusing mm-hmm. uh, for me and probably for those around me. Mm-hmm. The major upset really came um, when I was married okay. Uh, And that it's a hard thing for someone else to handle, Mm
0: -hmm. especially
1: when you don't know it. Yes. And especially if they are not um, particularly, don't necessarily believe in these kind of diagnoses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that was a really hard time um, for myself and for my husband at the time. And our daughter had just been born. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think a lot changed in my life, um, including my body and brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there was also these kind of newfound inspirations that, you know, i wanted to be, I wanted to really pursue happiness in my Mm -hmm. life because I knew that the only way for her to learn to be happy, especially, you know, I wanted her to learn at a young age. Mm -hmm. So I, I wanted to be happy because and pursue my happiness because that was the only way to teach her. And I think that just set me on a path while it was a good path. It was a path that was much more vulnerable to both the manias and the depressions. Mm -hmm. Um, so those all, plus I think my my chemistry personally, also, uh, you know, just everything became more pronounced after having child. Mm -hmm. So that was, probably the scariest journey that I had. Um, I had my own business at the time Mm -hmm. and a wonderful coach um, that helped me be more stable in my Mm -hmm. business, Mm -hmm. Um, who after I, after I got diagnosed, I found out she also had been diagnosed with bipolar. So maybe she never told me that, which was probably very bright on her part. Um, But that probably was really exactly the mentorship that I needed at yes. the time. Yes. Um, so the business was more stable. However, um, it wasn't a super successful. I would say it was mildly successful. Um, and I wasn't able to live on it uh, with my daughter. So when the marriage ended, um, it was a very rough transition, mm-hmm. um, not just financially, but you know, emotionally and mm-hmm. all of that, everything that goes with that. But, um, I don't want to say too much here for the sake of the other people involved, but one of the main, uh, expressions of mania that I have is hypersexuality Mm -hmm. and that can be obviously very rough and Mm -hmm. lead to the end of a marriage, Mm -hmm. Um, in, in more ways than one. Mm Um, you know, it, it just becomes a complete disconnect at times.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So that's kind of where I was at. Um, mm-hmm. at that time, you know, my daughter was about two and, um, when I moved out, she was two and my life just got kind of, what I would say is that my ego got attached to some of the things that were happening during some pretty bad manic episodes. Um, and when my ego got attached, it was kind of like this, well, I'm a bad person because Mm -hmm. I want to leave my marriage. I'm a bad person because, you know, I've got this hypersexuality thing going. I'm a bad person because dot, 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 dot. Mm -hmm. Mm dot. And if I'm a bad person, I'm going to be the baddest ass bad person I can be. Okay. And while that looked fun from the outside, Mm -hmm. it was not fun on the inside. I felt the need to keep up this image of being, you know, a real badass business owner to be a a vixen, Mm -hmm. um, very attractive woman that just kind of has been falling at her feet. Mm -hmm. Um, All of these things that I had just kind of put this image on myself. And that's something Mm -hmm. that I've been working on you know, really letting that die completely. Mm. Um, and I would say I've made some major progress there, but I'm still still working on that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the danger is. I think that for me, I hesitate to even say disorder. Um, yeah, I don't it's tend an to alternative use alternative order.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't tend to use the word disorder uh-huh. with uh, bipolar anyway. Um, I just, say living with bipolar yeah. and I've language that. yeah and language is important right um yes. it's a bit like saying um okay it's a bit like someone has liver disease you don't say I am liver disease <laughs> you say I have right mm-hmm. Or I am living mm-hmm. with this condition
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I find it interesting how bipolar has become us you know or can be an identity yeah like i'm i'm bipolar no 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 i'm emma and i live with bipolar and i have this condition right Mm -hmm. um so language is really important i try i try and um kind of advocate for you know softer use of language around this in 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 whatever i'm doing um and I feel it's really important Um, and in the same way what you're saying there I am bad because dot 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 Mm -hmm. it's taken me years to unpack shame really around so many things that have led me to I am good or I am bad to arrive at a place of I am a good person that sometimes does things that aren't so cool
1: yeah
0: right and that's taken me years to get to a space where I can say that and mean it uh-huh. rather than defining myself by the descriptive good or bad mm-hmm. you know um, you
1: are an inspiration with that
0: Yeah, you know, um, because
1: I can see it you know in your face and in your eyes and as you talk with people and in your voice too because i'm listening a lot of the time but it's that's refreshing and i think that we need to see more of that um the people who have you know i hate to use the word arrived so let's say the people who have made progress and are feeling generally good Mm -hmm. about their life that are living with bipolar Um, and that's beautiful language that um I know you use that a lot, but I hadn't picked up on it, uh, living with. I also like to use the, in the verb form, I bipole sometimes. I <laughs> know this isn't a thing, but that's how I feel like it is. This is what I do. I bipole um, in one way or another, sometimes both. Um, so I, I do think that that language is extremely important.
0: Yeah, it um, is. And,
1: it's important to separate it from ourselves too. Um,
0: Absolutely. And
1: it's frustrating to separate it from ourselves because then we're watching, we're watching ourselves bipolar. We're watching those things come out of our mouths. We're watching, you know, I'm stepping out on it on the highway, and you know, I've got my car in sports mode, and here I am, probably the person with the least coordination and the, the slowest reflexes, and I shouldn't <laughs> be going that fast. And I'm watching myself doing this. Mm -hmm. And there is some objective part of me that is saying, this is not right. Mm -hmm. And yet I can't, I can't directly control it. Mm You know, I can't just stop wanting to do Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I can stop doing it, but it's this indirect route. Mm -hmm. And so looking objectively at it helps us to separate these things, these bipolar things that we do
0: mm-hmm.
1: from our identity. Absolutely. But at the same time, it is extremely frustrating because if you're still having to deal with that. It doesn't stop just no. because you don't identify with it.
0: No. But what it does do is it allows us some distance to try and take care of that part of ourselves yes. a bit better. Yeah. Because if you can't see it, there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. to get to a space where you can see and go, oh, look, I'm doing that thing. Okay. Why am I doing that thing? Okay. What do I need to do to take the very best care of me right now? Mm-hmm. And that might mean, you know, cutting back on what we're doing or mm-hmm. going, get, pushing ourselves to get outside and get 20 minutes of fresh air whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Right. But that separation, I think what it does is it gives us a, a breath, like a pause, like a let's take stock for a second, rather than I'm bipolar and therefore this is just how it is. And don't get me wrong, like sometimes it's so hard and to have perspective on yourself all the time is impossible. There's no, there's no perfect way to do this. But if we can just try and observe ourselves like you're saying and that I think language can help with that because it can push it to the side of us. Right. And we're like, oh, I'm Emma and I live with my mate, bipolar. Uh-huh. And guess what? This mate's sticking around. <laughs> they told me they're not going anywhere. I didn't ask for them. It's like the best mate that you never asked uh-huh. for, but you got. right. And you, yeah. you, you kind of like them, but they're a bit annoying. And after a while, you get a bit tired. You'd rather they went home, but they don't go home. So yeah. you've got to learn how to cohabit with whatever this friend is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're, you know, not doing cool things, <laughs> and we need to mm-hmm. say, right, look, you're not being very cool right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what do what do we need to do? How do we bring yeah. safety to the situation? How do we bring safety to ourselves? How do we take the very best care of us? What does that look like today? Mm-hmm. Because you're not going anywhere, are you? You're still yeah. here.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I've been trying to get yeah. rid of you for ages, right? And you don't go. And
1: <laughs> I think that that's, that's really the crux of it is that, <laughs> you know, this isn't going anywhere. And that can be uh-uh. very, that can have a lot of weight sometimes, mm-hmm. a lot of weight, you know, mm-hmm. looking at the rest of your life thinking, okay, now I know what's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's not something I can directly fix, mm-hmm. but it is something that I can live with. And that I could live better with because I know. Yes. Um, And these little incremental improvements. And sometimes it's not even incremental. Sometimes it's just, I have to do this thing repetitively, repetitively. Yes. And um, that's, that's life. But everyone else has these things too, in a different Mm. way. You know, somebody that's living without a limb, uh, Mm -hmm. somebody that's living next to a neighbor that cuts his lawn at five in the morning on sunday you know there's (laughs) there's plenty of examples of this you know some of them more weighty than others Mm. um everybody has things that they have to live
0: with true and i just think you know that's for me anyway i spent the good a good first few years of my diagnosis thinking if i can fight this hard enough i'm gonna win i'm gonna beat this yeah i'm gonna beat this I'm going to do all these things, lots of doing. I'm going to do all these things, all the ings. I was doing this and doing that, doing this, doing that. Mm -hmm. I mean, no wonder I was exhausted and then triggering myself to go into another phase and then another phase and another phase because I was relentlessly fighting bipolar. Mm -hmm. And really, bipolar didn't really want to fight with me. It just wanted me to sit down, hold its hand and be its friend Yeah. and say, some days... We need to do this. And some days we need to do that. And I need to like parent that part of me hard, but -hmm. not fight it. right? (laughs) And that's what I thought. I thought, I'm just going to, you know, push through. I'm going to do this. I'm going to beat it. This won't beat me. And I will say, and I have said before, there were parts of that that kept me alive uh, as well Mm -hmm. and were essential for my survival at the time until I learned other skills to support everything a bit better. But um but yeah, I mean certainly for a while I thought fighting it was the answer. And you know, it's been I'd say waves of grief and acceptance that and then I grieve and ex- accept and grieve and accept and grieve and you know of oh wow, well, okay, no, it's a lifer, jolly good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's here to these stay. these
1: are these are beautiful words and I I think that this is a a huge message um, because I think we all, when we get the diagnosis, we, we think it's something that, okay, we're going to, we're going to fight this. I'm not going to have it anymore. And I I really thought that that's what medication would do for me, Mm -hmm. that now I wouldn't have it anymore. Mm -hmm. I still have it. Mm -hmm. I have a, a much better life. For many reasons, one of them being medication, and I have longer periods normal, Mm -hmm. and I have um, more safety in -hmm. the not normal times. Mm -hmm. And that's wonderful. Um, But it is, it's here to stay. And I think if we can go through that grief and accept that this is our best friend, (laughs) and now we have to find ways to communicate and, you know, love that part of us yeah uh, that's that's just immensely important like if that's that to me is the message that I really feel in my heart Mm -hmm. for people who are getting a diagnosis Mm -hmm. and you know for me all of that fighting all that doing was going on trying to fix myself before I got that diagnosis I have spent my whole life you know self-improvement mode thinking that someday Someday I'm going to find out one thing. I'm going to, you know, eat ketogenic, or I'm going to, you know, uh, start doing this kind of a schedule, or I'm going to start tracking something. And that is just going to change everything in my life. is going to be good. Yeah. And this is, and then I would think I got there. And as soon as I got in a hypomanic state, then I think, oh, I got there. Now, what was it that I did? that made it like this. And then I keep doing that, but it wouldn't always work. And then I'd look for something else and then it's, it's exhausting. Yes, but I feel like for me, a lot of that dropped away I had a diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I got this diagnosis, even before medication, all of that anxiety dropped away mm-hmm. because I understood what was going on. Yeah. And I knew that this doing and pursuing something that didn't exist I didn't Mm -hmm. need to do it anymore I just needed to be with it and love it yeah that was it
0: this is true um so tell me what you do now Uh, in your life so
1: what are you doing now that's a great question um so many things I have found (laughs) so many great tools um and are you speaking of to manage living oh, with bipolar? Or no, or are you yeah. just In general.
0: No. So what are you doing? Cause you said that um, you, when you were married, you had your own business and then obviously yeah, okay. you had to transition out of that. And now, so what, what are you doing now? What's life like for you now? And yeah, how are you managing and staying stable? Oh.
1: <laughs> So I do have my own business still It has transitioned many times, uh, because it's another huge expression for me of my manic episodes is starting new businesses. So now that I'm aware of that, it has slowed down and become more stable. Um, But I do uh, mainly consulting. I also do web development, Mm -hmm. which is the business that I had before. Um, And that seems to kind of be a a running thread that since I had a stable business at that time, Mm -hmm. people still call me um, with referrals and um, just repeat business all the time, even without any marketing. Yeah. So I don't even have really a website for that, but I still get calls all the time, which is, by the way. That's the beauty of sticking with something um, (laughs) and being stable and having a great coach that helps you do that because it doesn't come natural to me. Mm. Um, So I mainly do consulting now and marketing strategy, Mm -hmm. which I love. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been quite a road to get to where I can manage having a business and it needs to be a certain type of business for me to be able to manage it. Yeah. And so, um, I'm very open with my clients. So I'm not afraid to say this last week. I took most of the week off because I needed to. Yeah. And there was no interruption in Mm -hmm. my business. There were a couple Mm -hmm. of meetings that I showed up for, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, you know, I had the freedom to do that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really glad that I have that. And Mm -hmm. I know that, um, I'm an exception to the rule Mm -hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be one of the great struggles of living with bipolar. Yeah. certainly can. Um, So that's a lot of my day-to-day life. Um, I only work four to six hours a day. Yep. Um, and I don't work on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Mo- really, there's very, very few exceptions to that, mm-hmm. which had been my life in the past, you know, working eight or 10 hours a day and on the weekends trying to catch up and all of that but i i've let that go and Mm -hmm. really just trusting um in the universal god to just take care of me Um, Mm -hmm. and that's something i still i am still getting in the groove of Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's working it's working it's very magical Uh, (laughs) Um, so that part of my life is good
0: i think having boundaries around work and downtime whether you're working for yourself or you're working for a company is so important when living with bipolar because for example i spoke about this in the first episode of series one with beth and um for someone for me by living with bipolar if i i have a work phone and a personal phone and i keep everything separate because if I get a text or something about work late at night that's enough to leave me wired and switched on which is enough to make me not sleep properly and a few nights of that is enough to make me unwell Mm -hmm. so I never really understood how important that was you know at, at the beginning and actually it's so important um so literally the phone will you know, the work phone will go down and that's it. It won't go back on until I sit back at my desk to work again. Mm -hmm. And that for me, it's the activation, right? That it can give that these things that seem small, oh, it's just a text or it's just an email to somebody who is like me. It it can be very activating and actually can leave you switched on and wired. And then you can't settle down. Mm -hmm like somebody who perhaps doesn't live with bipolar, you know, uh-huh. it doesn't, it's not just something that comes and goes, it's like something that triggers something and you're springboarding off into like ten thousand new projects before you know it. And mm-hmm. it's midnight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, no no no, it's bedtime. And your brain's uh-huh. like, no no no, I'm gonna um solve the world's problems. And it's uh one o'clock in the morning. Why not? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but so it's um I think boundaries around um work and social time, you know, even if you are not working for yourself and you have a nine to five job, you know, separate yourself and give yourself that downtime, I think is really key. Yeah. Mm.
1: So it's interesting that everyone has a different way of doing this. Mm -hmm. Yours is very different than mine. Mm Um, I do, I have one phone. I tell my clients, you can text me anytime Mm. you can, uh, call me anytime. And they're, they're respectful about Mm -hmm. that, but I do get, I do get texts in the evening and they are different time zones and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that works for me. And part of the reason that works for me is I don't charge hourly. Mm -hmm. I won't do it. No matter how much somebody wants to pay me hourly, I will not do it. All of my fees are based on an outcome or an Mm -hmm. objective. Mm -hmm. And that allows me a lot of flexibility. So I can Mm -hmm. say, do you need this tonight? Mm-hmm. No, I need it first thing in the morning. Okay, I will have it done mm-hmm. by you know 7 a.m. Whatever it mm. is, um, and I have a lot of flexibility because of that. I'm able to make the decisions mm-hmm. without a lot of information to them, mm-hmm. um, which I think even though most or all of my clients are aware of my bipolaring. Um, <laughs> but you know I don't I don't let it kind of seep into the communication from day to day and -hmm. I think that that's helpful so I have my own ways of separating it
0: yeah Yeah. and I think that's it as long as you have a way of separating it and being bounded with your energy I think it's really you know that's that's the important thing find a way that works for you um and you know be aware of what triggers you to remain wired and switched on and what doesn't um because it's these small things you know that can really be activating that i i overlooked them for a very long time and then and then i realized oh no that one thing yeah no, my head was buzzing for the next four hours you know <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: i'm saying that doesn't happen so. <laughs> but i have learned to prioritize sleep yeah, like that was even before I got this diagnosis, you know, as a nun, I had to wake up at 5 a.m. every day. Mm-hmm. Obviously, at certain times of the year, I was not sleeping much at all. Um, and so there was this kind of constant build of sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. And now, like, as soon as I left there, I was just like, I'm never depriving myself of sleep again. Mm-hmm. So I was already kind of into that now, like, if I need to sleep during the day. I yeah. do it. I have um, in my office area here, I have a sofa with a weighted blanket. Yes. And I just, when I feel I need to crawl under there, I crawl under there. And sometimes I'm curled up in a ball. I'm not necessarily like, you know, sobbing, crying yeah. sometimes. But <laughs> it's, it's just something that helps me move on with my day. Yeah. And so yeah. I'll go under there for 15 minutes or two hours, whatever yeah. it is that I need. And I allow myself that. Yes. And the results are so much better yes. than pushing myself.
0: Absolutely. And
1: people see it as indulgent and that's okay. They mm-hmm. can see it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what works.
0: Exactly. And I think that, you know, we get brought up, we can get brought up with lots of narratives of being selfless is the measure of how good you are as a person and um, putting others before yourself makes you a good person. We're back to this good or bad person again, right? Mm -hmm. Where we're stepping out, you know, like we're coming back to branding ourselves as good or bad by action rather than I'm inherently a good person with good intentions that sometimes doesn't get it right. Um, And sometimes I need to put myself first because I'm tired and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But we get brought up with these these other beliefs, right? Um,
1: And it
0: defines the, you, then how we look after ourselves or don't
1: yeah as we grow yeah. up it's true mm. in the u.s we're like stuck on the whole work ethic mm. thing yeah and the um, the the word busy is such a buzzword oh how are you i'm so busy oh so busy and that's like kind of a self-streaming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, she's busy. So we know she's good, you know. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's something that, you know, has definitely been on my list of eradication good. for a long time. Good.
0: Um Thank you so much um, for this conversation today. I've loved it. I've loved talking to you and getting to know you better and spending this time with you today. Um,
1: Can you please
0: tell us where to find you?
1: Yes. Um, Okay. So my business is PondBee, Mm -hmm. pondbee.com. I am also launching a podcast about friendship. Mm. and that will be socialanimalspodcast.com. Uh, and then my social media will be on both the sites so that you can go find me there because that's, I post a lot on Instagram and Facebook regarding living with bipolar.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Bipolar, the podcast brought to you by Bipolar UK. Please go to our website www.bipolaruk.org for all of our resources and all of the support that we can offer you.